Well, good morning, Bethel Christian Assembly. It's just a delight to be with you here in Brandon today. You're a busy church, lots of excitement going on here. Good to see that taking place. I hope you enjoyed that extra hour of sleep last night. My plan was to use that extra hour to drive from Winnipeg to Brandon this morning, but I was watching the weather, and they were originally predicting the, some nasty weather to start about 5 o'clock, so I decided I better keep ahead of that, and I drove out yesterday afternoon. I had a beautiful drive from Winnipeg to Brandon yesterday, and I'm looking at the weather today. I'm just hoping that I'm going to be able to get home later this, tonight. So thank you, worship team, for leading us so well into God's presence this morning. I love worshiping with God's people wherever I go across our district. Each setting is a little bit different, but we all have the same goal of lifting up the name of Jesus and expressing our love and our adoration towards him in a collective way as a congregation. And I'm glad we had a chance to do that together this morning. I also appreciated the time of communion and taking time to pause and reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us so we could have a relationship with our Lord. Thank you for that opportunity to express our gratitude to him. Well, it's good to be here today. I feel that I know many of you here this morning. For those who may not know me, I'm Pastor Vern Kratz. My wife, Heidi, usually travels with me, uh, but was unfortunately able to come today. She's on grandma duty, looking after our grandson this weekend. And uh, Heidi and I have had the privilege of pastoring for uh, the past 30 years in Winnipeg and in Thompson and in Brandon. In fact, I pastored in six, 16 years here in Brandon, another little church just down the street called Calvary Temple. And uh, during my years here in Brandon, I got to know many people in the community, including many of you folk right here from Bethel. And Brandon will always have a special place in my heart as Heidi and I spent many years ministering in this city. And uh, now we're back in Winnipeg, and I have the privilege of serving uh, in the district office as the assistant district superintendent for fellowship services. I look after all the administration for our district, the finances, the property matters, the credential matters. So that keeps me pretty busy, and I enjoy it. I also bring some greetings from our district office, from Pastor Dan Murphy, our assistant district superintendent for mission. And I want to make sure that I thank those who have been praying for our district superintendent. Pastor, pa uh, Pastor Andrew Porterfield, as uh, you may well know, Pastor Andrew developed a serious foot infection earlier this year that was complicated by diabetes. And after many weeks of treatments and some surgery, doctors were using words like amazing and miraculous on how his foot was healing. And it's been a long journey, but after eight months of being away from the office and away from his superintendent duties, this past week he was cleared to return to work on a part-time basis, and we're so happy to have him back in the office with us. So, I'm Yeah, yeah, it's an answer to prayer. On behalf of Pastor Andrew and Joanne, thank you for your prayers. Continue to pray for them as Pastor Andrew is in his recovery process and just know that our prayers are being heard. I also want to thank you as Bethel Christian Assembly for partnering with us and for faithfully supporting the district. I know it hasn't been an easy road for many of our churches these past couple of years, but we're so grateful for the faithfulness of God's people supporting their local church, which then enables the church to send monthly support to the district. Maybe you weren't even aware that, you, that Bethel Christian Assembly supports the district, but you do. And as one of your district officers, I want to say thank you for your generosity and for your faithfulness in your obligation to the district. It has not gone 
unnoticed. And I do want to thank Pastor Mike for inviting me to share with you today. Pastor Mike Gordon and I go way back in ministry. We were both youth pastors in this district at the same time. So we were at many of the same events over the years. He was here in Brandon ministering as a youth pastor while I was in Winnipeg and then in Thompson. And your pastor, you need to know this, is well respected and appreciated in our district. We invited Pastor Mike to preach at our recent pastor's conference, and I want you to know that you can be proud of your pastor. He did an amazing job, and we continue to hear comments from pastors from across our district as to how they were blessed and encouraged and challenged by the words that he shared with us. It's not always easy to, to speak to your own colleagues and friends, but Pastor Mike did very well and was so appreciated by everyone who's at the conference. Pastor Glenn, Pastor Bryce, Pastor Logan, Pastor Stephen, I don't know if I'm forgetting anyone else from the pastoral staff, but I know each of your pastors, and some of, some of them I've known for many years, and uh, you have a great pastoral team here whom I know that you love and you appreciate. And our district off, at our district office, we are so grateful for the strength of the ministry team here in Brandon. We want you to know that from our office. We are very grateful for the pastors here in this church. Well, I believe that God has something from his word for us today, so let's get right to it. So here we are. You're there. I'm here. You can see me. I can see you. We can all see each other in this room. Forgive me for overstating the obvious, but that phrase, I can see you. Have you ever said that to somebody? I can see you. Or maybe someone has said that to you. And depending on what it was that we were doing at the time, we smile. Maybe we get embarrassed and blush. Or depending on who it is that says that they can see us, it may make us terrified. Sometimes we think we can't be seen. But we're actually in plain sight, or at least a part of us can be seen. Some of you know my daughter, Victoria. She's a youth pastor in Morden now. But when she was little, I used to play hide-and-seek with her, and she wasn't very good at it. She was probably three or four years old, and it would be her turn to hide, so I would close my eyes and count to ten, and she would run off and hide, and one of her favorite places to hide would be behind the couch. So I'd come into the room, and she would think that she was completely out of sight, but in reality, she was down on all fours, and had just stuck her head and upper body behind the couch, but her whole back end was sticking out from behind the couch in plain sight for everyone to see. And I'd have to pretend not to see her for a while. She thought she couldn't be seen. And then I'd eventually have to say, I can see you. I can see you is the title of my message today. And hopefully it'll be something that you remember for a while. And, and I pray that that title, that phrase, will be a trigger for other more important thoughts and reminders than just the thought of me being able to see you. In fact, let's pray together right now that God would open our hearts to his word and all that he'd have for us this morning. Father God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and collectively worship you. Thank you, God, that you are here. Father, now open our ears to hear what you'd have us to hear. Father, open our minds to help us to understand what you want us to know and understand today. But Father, even more importantly than hearing, even more importantly than understanding, help us to put your word into practice in the days to come. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here and that you're going to help us. Thank you, God. Amen. 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 Not everyone likes to be seen. Some would just 
rather blend into the background and, and not be in the forefront. Others like to be seen. They like to be the center of attention, the life of the party. But whether you like to be seen or not, all of you knew that you were going to be seen today. You knew you couldn't avoid being seen. It's a given. You will be seen. You washed your face because you knew you'd be seen. You combed your hair because you knew you'd be seen. And you definitely got dressed today because you knew you'd be seen. All of us, whether we like to be seen or not, knew that we'd be seen by others today. That's not too deep or profound so far, but here we go with some more important thoughts today. The Bible actually has a lot to say about recognizing or being aware that others can see you and are watching you. And it makes sense that something so obvious as knowing that you will be seen by others is something that the Bible would talk a lot about. Knowing that others are watching how we live should cause our actions and our reactions and our choices to have a second thought given towards them. I first started thinking about this topic a little while ago when I was reading in the, in the Bible, 1 John chapter 4, and there's a fascinating verse in there that just jumped out at me when I read it. It's verse 12 of 1 John chapter 4, and it says this, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. That's quite a verse. No one has ever seen God, but... There's that little word, but, in there. And the commentator on the NIV Study Bible wrote this in the margin beside this verse. Try and just wrap your head around this today. Since our love has its source in God's love, then his love reaches full expression or is made complete when we love fellow Christians. Therefore, the God whom no one has ever seen is seen in those who love because God lives in them. I think that's so cool. No one has ever seen God, but when you and I choose to love one another, God is seen in us. The invisible God becomes visible. I've often said through my years of ministry that life is made up of choices, and when we make right choices, when we choose to live right, when we choose to love God and love others, God is seen through us. The world gets a glimpse of who God is through you and your life. That's amazing to think about, perhaps a little sobering as well, but I still find it amazing. I know this verse in 1 John is talking specifically about our choices to love one another as Christians or as Christ followers, and I want to talk about a lot more than just that, but that's a great place for us to start. God is seen in us when we choose to love one another. John also records the words of Jesus in his gospel where Jesus said this in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The world is watching us, and they will know we're Christ's followers when they see us loving one another. As you go through your day, you will be seen. As you interact with people, you will be seen. As you make choices, you will be seen. As we love one another or choose not to love one another, we'll be seen. The Apostle Paul wrote a reminder to the church. He said in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 2, You are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. Your life is being read by everyone around you. What are they reading? 
Are they getting a clear picture of who God is and what it means to be a Christ follower from what they see in each of us? I remember when I was pastoring here in Brandon, I was getting something from Superstore, and, and I turned down the aisle, and there was a family that I knew from our BG club, our, our midweek kids club program, and, and there was one of our preschool-age children from our youngest age group. They were only three or four years old, and, and we call that age group the Seekers. And they were all wide-eyed when they saw me in the store, and they were trying to figure this out. And, and he turned to his mom and, and says, Mom, Mom, there's, there's Pastor Vern. What, well, what's he doing in Superstore? And I heard the mom say, I don't know, probably buying groceries. So some of the, the little ones in our children's ministry at the time had no concept of me outside of the church. They had only opportunity to see me at church on the platform or in kids' church or at BG Club. So they had no reason to believe that I'd ever go anywhere else. They thought I just lived at the church. So when they saw me at the grocery store, at the Y, or at the Wheat Kings game, it just, it just rocked their world. And, and Heidi was on staff as the children's pastor at the time, so they knew her even better than they knew me. But when they saw Pastor Heidi and I together outside of the church, it just flipped them right upside down because some of them didn't even realize we were husband and wife. And it was quite fun just watching them try to figure this all out. But when I have these types of encounters... I'm reminded that others see me. They're watching me. I can't avoid being seen, so I need to watch how I live. And not only because the little ones are watching me, but because everyone's watching me. People are watching you. And that should be something that we take seriously. Well, I want to move away from the title of my sermon. I said that I wanted to share some things that were much more of, of much more importance than just me being able to see you. I want to take you through four people or groups of people that are watching you and see what we can learn about ourselves and maybe remind ourselves of some important things. So here we go. More important than me being able to see you is, number one, your family and friends can see you. All of us probably to some degree act a little different when we're out in public than when we're in the confines of our own home. We, we also act a little different when we're around the general public than we do when we're around a group of close friends, say. And that's not all bad. I believe there should be places that we feel safe to be relaxed and to be ourselves. But you don't want to be one person in private and a completely different person in public. That's not good either. But there are things that should be different when we're in different contexts. I'm glad that you didn't wear your pajamas to church today. Completely appropriate for you to wear them at home. And if you're at home this morning watching the service online and you're in your pajamas, that's okay. But it would be a little inappropriate for you to show up here with your pajamas on. There are things that should be different when we're in different contexts. <laughs> Not one for heading down a rabbit trail when I'm speaking, but here I go. I... I don't know if this bothers anyone else or not. I'm probably the only one that this bothers. But when I stay at a hotel and I go down to the breakfast room in the morning, I would take a moment to shower and wash and get dressed before heading down to the breakfast room. Yet I'm always shocked that some people don't see that particular order of events as important. It's one thing to see kids down there in their pajamas. I get it. But but full-grown adults in their wrinkly pajamas, hair all plastered to one side, sticking straight up on end, sometimes wearing slippers or even bare feet, serving themselves breakfast. I see some of you are smiling because you've seen it too. You know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you are that person. 
I'm so tempted to go over to them and say, hey, do you realize everyone here can see you? I never do that, but I'm thinking it. This isn't your house. This isn't your kitchen. Get washed. Get dressed. Sorry about that. Probably no one else thinks that way. It's just me. But obviously I'm talking about something more important than just getting dressed in the morning. Here, here's the question. What would your friends and family say about you? Those who know you best. Those who see you relax. Those that would see you let your guard down. What would they say about you? Would they see you as the same person in public than when you're out in private? You see, it's about our integrity. Your integrity isn't measured when you make right choices in public, but by the choices you make when you're in private. Do those who are closest to you see you as the same person in public than in private? Your integrity is on the line. My family knows me well and my wife knows me best. Heidi knows me better than anyone else knows me. We were pastoring in Brandon and and in public, especially around children in the church, I would call her Pastor Heidi. Sometimes I would get asked, do you call her Pastor Heidi when you're alone? And I always answer, yes, just to see what their reaction would be. But Heidi sees me, and she knows me like no one else. She sees me at my highest moments and my victories. And she sees me at my low points and even has seen me when I make mistakes and when I need to ask for forgiveness. She sees me at those points, too. But I know Heidi would be able to tell you that Vern is the same person you see in private and when he's out in public. I'm more relaxed when I'm at home. That's a given. And some people used to tell me that I acted differently on Thursday nights with the kids at our kids club program than I did with the adult congregation on Sunday mornings. I was a lot more hyper and energetic with the kids, but those aren't the kinds of things that I'm talking about. I'm talking about my character, my passions, my attitude, my priorities, my heart, and what's important to me. Those things don't change from when I'm in private to when I'm in public. I am the same person. And if they did change, those who are closest to me would see it. Your family and friends can see you. Do they see you as a person of integrity? In Proverbs, the book of wisdom, chapter 11 and verse 3, it says this, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. I didn't even know the word duplicity was in the Bible, but I love how it's used in this verse. Integrity is destroyed by duplicity. People closest to us will notice when we live by a double standard or when we change our character or change our priorities, and, and with that, our integrity gets destroyed. To become a person of integrity, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes years of a consistent lifestyle, but it can be destroyed in a single moment. What will your family and friends say about you after you're gone? Are you living in such a way that they'll have lists of good things to, be, to say about you, or will they have to search for nice things to say? Or worse, would they have to make stuff up? Ever been to one of those kind of funerals? Where everyone knows the deceased wasn't the nicest person in the world and spent a lifetime of making wrong choices. And just wasn't generally well-liked by people. And then someone gets up there and says all these nice things about them, and you're thinking to yourself, what in the world was that all about? It was like they had cut and pasted the eulogy out of the Reader's Digest or some magazine or something because they weren't talking about the same person that you knew. Spend your life giving people ample good things to be able to say about you when you're gone. Your family and friends see you. It's about 
your integrity. So let's move on. Not only do your family and friends see you, but number two, the world can see you. We, all, we already touched on this in the introduction. Whether, whether you like it or not, you will be seen. You step out your front door and the world sees you. In fact, you don't even need to go out your front door. You go on the internet or Facebook or to a Zoom meeting online and the world sees you. What is the world seeing when they see you? 2 Corinthians 8 verse 21 says this, For we are taking great pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. The Apostle Paul reminds us that our integrity, our choices, and our conduct are not only important in the eyes of God, but they are also important in the eyes of the world. Point number one was about our integrity. Point number two is about our testimony. Does our life line up and bear witness to the fact that we are a child of God? Does your life line up with who you say you are? Is your testimony intact? The great evangelist Billy Graham passed away four years ago at the age of 99, considered by most to be the greatest evangelist of the modern era and regarded as one of the most influential people in America for the past century. I was at a men's early morning prayer breakfast on a Wednesday morning when I heard the news of his passing, and I was surprised that I became somewhat emotional. I even had to wipe a tear away from my eye, not a tear of sadness, for a life that was lost, but a tear of gratitude for a life well lived and thankful that we had a champion that we could look up to with great respect because his testimony stayed intact and true right until the very end. And I remember just breathing the words of the verse from Matthew 25 and verse 21, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. And we will never know this side of eternity the magnitude and impact that one life has made on the world because of a faithful and consistent testimony. How's your testimony? Paul admonishes us in 2 Corinthians to take great pains to do what is right, not only because God is watching, but also because the world is watching. Not only do people hear what we say, but they watch what we do. They watch how we react to situations, and they see if our actions and our reactions are consistent with who we say we are. Nowadays, you don't have to do or say very much to have a testimony to be seen as someone who is different from the rest of the world. Choose a kind word instead of complaining, and you'll be seen as different. Choose to do a random act of kindness with no expectation of return favor, and you'll be seen as different than most. Bow your head in the lunchroom before your meal. Pray for our elected leaders that they would do right rather than only complain about what they do wrong. Show respect to your teachers and those in authority. Obey your parents. Show love to your children. Participate in what your church is doing. Smile more than others around you. And on and on and on. The list goes of simple ways and choices we could make throughout our day that will put our testimony on display for the world to see because the world is watching. The people of your community are watching. The people of Brandon are watching. And perhaps maybe you think you're going through a difficult time in life right now, and maybe you haven't been on the top of your game as far as your Christian testimony goes. Let me encourage you with this. In the midst of your struggle, whatever that may be, Maybe you're sick, maybe you're facing a crisis, maybe there's some upheaval in your family. I don't know what you may be facing right now, but whatever it is that you're going through, you have a unique opportunity for your testimony to speak even louder than ever. 
Because let's face it, the world is less impressed with our testimony when things are going well for us, or when life is good, or when life is easy. But your testimony will be the loudest when you're going through times of adversity or pain or hardship, and you still choose to react in a God-pleasing manner. And when you still choose joy in spite of pain, and when you still choose to live for God, when it seems you have every reason to abandon him, and when you stay faithful in the tough situations and the tough spots, then your testimony is loud and clear. And that's when people will ask you, what do you have that I don't have? And how do I get some of that? Let's be ready to give an answer for the joy and the peace and the hope that's within us in spite of our circumstances. That's found in 1 Peter 3.15. It's about your testimony. So first of all, your friends and, and family can see you. Then secondly, the world sees you. Now thirdly, you can see you. You can see you. Even when you are alone, you can still see you. When I graduated from high school, all the grads were asked to hand in a quote that would be put by our photo in the yearbook. And mine was, wherever you go, there you are. I didn't even know what the quote meant back then. I just thought it sounded cool. It made me look a lot more philosophical than I really was. No one really knows where the quote came from. Most make some allusion to Confucius being its author. It doesn't really matter. It's a true statement regardless of who came up with it first. No matter what you do or how you might try, you can't escape yourself. You take you wherever you go. And you come with a lot of baggage. You come with all the good and you come with all the bad. You take you wherever you go. But wherever you go, you will have options and opportunities to choose how you will live. Even when situations happen to you that are out of your control, you still have a choice as to how you will react to them. And even when there is no one else around to see the choice you make, you still see you. You will know the choice you made or didn't make. James writes this in James 1, verses 22 to 25. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looked like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Point one was about integrity. Point two is about our testimony. Point, point three is about our health. It's personal. It's about us making choices that strengthen us physically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally. It starts by looking in the mirror and taking a good look at what we see. But James tells us that it doesn't end there. In fact, looking in the mirror isn't even the most important part. The most important part is what we do with what we saw in the mirror after we walk away. Do we forget what we saw or do we make some changes? If I look in the mirror and I see, oh man, my hair's a mess. And then I pull out a brush and I fix my hair as best as I can. What was the most important thing that I did? Was looking in the mirror and seeing that my hair was a mess the most important thing? Or was fixing my hair the more important thing? Obviously, fixing my hair was more important than looking in the mirror and seeing the mess. But I think sometimes by our action, or rather by our inaction at times, it appears that looking in the mirror was the most important part. 
at least it seems to be more important than fixing what we see in the mirror because sometimes we look and we say, yep, I need to fix that. I need to make that adjustment. I I need to make that change over there. Okay. But then we walk away and continue on exactly as we did before and do nothing to make any changes. We need to hold up the mirror and take a good look at ourselves and then start making some changes that are necessary so that we're healthy. Whether that means our physical health, which results in altering habits to do with diet and exercise and rest, or whether even more importantly, it's holding up the mirror of God's word and looking closely at our spiritual state and recognizing with the help of the Holy Spirit, there's some things that we need to change to be more spiritually healthy. Whether it means putting in place regular spiritual disciplines like time in the word and time spent in prayer. Whether it's an attitude that needs adjusting or an action that needs to be cut out of your life or or adding something to your lifestyle that you've been omitting before. Whatever it is, we need to take a look in the mirror and with God's help, make the necessary changes. Don't be like the man who walks away from the mirror and does nothing as if looking in the mirror was the most important thing. And then right away forgets what he really looked like. Do you know what will happen? As you choose to see you, as you choose to make good choices towards spiritual and physical and mental and emotional health, you will change. And family and friends who know you best will see it first and see your integrity. And eventually the world will see it too. And you will have a stronger testimony. Finally, number four, God can see you. Not only do your friends and family see you, not only does the world see you, not only do you see you, but God sees you. And while that might be a comfort to some, it can be a terrifying thought to others. I used to meet with a group of pastors here in the city every Tuesday morning for prayer. And the topic of the fear of the Lord came up in one of our conversations And how there seems to be a lack of it in today's society, that's no secret. But what's more concerning is that attitude seems to be creeping into the church or into popular theology. Many don't seem to have a problem stating that God is our friend. But we talk less and less about the fear of the Lord and walking uprightly before him in all that we do. God has outlined a wonderful plan for our lives. He describes how we can best live. And when we veer from that plan, he feels displeasure and there are consequences. And we don't like to talk about God that way. We say God is a God of love. And he is a God of love. 1 John 4 verse 8 clearly tells us that. In fact, it's his greatest attribute. God is love. God loves us. But in his love for us, he made a way for us to have a right relationship with him and then outlined how to live a life that is pleasing to him and how to strengthen our relationship with him. But when we choose to walk out of step with his will, we have much to be concerned about. I don't want to end there on this heavy note, so I'm going to turn it around right away. But before I do, I I just want to share with you from my own upbringing. At a very young age, I was taught that God is always with me. He sees all that I do. And that knowledge developed within me a very healthy fear of the Lord because it's about God's presence. Point number one was about our integrity. Point two was about our testimony. Point three was about our health. And now point four is about God's presence. And the awareness of God's presence changes everything. When I needed strength and comfort and help, God was there. 
When I felt lonely and needed a friend, God was there. When I needed wisdom, God was there. When I was sick, God was there. And these things continue to be true in my life. God sees me in all of these situations, and that brings me great hope and comfort because I'm aware of his presence in my life. But God also sees me when I'm, tem- sees me when I'm tempted and when I'm selfish and when I don't choose his best for me. And even when I choose my own way and sin against him, God sees that too. And the knowledge of that, Knowing that God sees me has spared me from making many wrong choices many times because I'm aware of his presence in my life. I don't see God as someone who's waiting to smite me as soon as I make a mistake, but rather I see a God who is heartbroken when I choose my own way. And at times in his love, he has to bring in correction and rebuke to get me onto the right path again. Proverbs 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I believe a healthy sense of the fear of the Lord is something that we all need and can benefit from. If we fear the Lord, then we have nothing to be afraid of. If we're aware of God's presence, it affects everything. So let's bring this in for a landing here. Maybe you're here today, though, and you feel like God is a million miles away from you. And your situation. Know today that God sees you. You're not forgotten. He sees you and he hears you. Maybe you think he's lost your address. God knows exactly where you are and where you live. He knows where you were two hours ago and he knows where you'll be this afternoon. You may feel like you've been forgotten, but God knows where you are. He sees you. You are not alone. No tear has ever been hidden from him. No hurtful word said to you has ever been missed. No abuse has ever occurred that he didn't see and grieve with you. He sees it all. There is never a moment, never a second in your life that God is not paying attention to you. He notices you 24 hours a day because he loves you and you are valuable to him. Whatever it is that you're facing today, God sees you. His presence is with you. So as we leave this place in a moment, let's remember that there'll be those that are watching us. Your family and your friends see you. It's about your integrity. The world sees you. It's about your testimony. You see you. It's about your health. God sees you. It's about his presence. I close with the words from Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. It says this, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So we have God's promise that he not only sees us, but he also walks with us. So we can confidently, we can walk confidently knowing that God will be walking with us step by step. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word. Father, we ask that you'd open our ears and help us to hear and listen to your word today. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for helping us to listen to your word. Father, thank you that you help us, helped us understand your word today. It wasn't a difficult word to understand. Thank you that 
you helped us understand. Now, Father, as we go from this place, I pray that you'll help us to live out your word, to be doers of your word. We don't want to just stop with the listening. We don't want to just stop with understanding, but we want to put your word into practice in the days to come. So, Holy Spirit, help us to do that. Thank you, God, that as we go out from this place and this week rub shoulders with others in our community, we realize we're going to be seen. So help us to be good representatives of you and your love and who you are. Open our eyes to situations that are around us that we may be able to minister to. Father, just thank you that you walk with us. You do not leave us alone. And although you see us and your presence changes everything, Father, we recognize that you're right there alongside us no matter what we have to face. So we thank you for that. And Father, I pray a blessing on this congregation. I pray a blessing on Bethel Christian Assembly and upon the pastors and the staff and the leaders of this place and every congregation member. Father, I thank you for what they're doing. Father, I pray your blessing on this place. Pour out of yourself. May they continue to be a lighthouse to this city. Father, we thank you for the busyness that we see taking place. The lives that are being changed and transformed continue to do that. Father, continue to grant vision to the leadership here. We pray your blessing on this place. Thank you, God, for meeting with us this morning as we go from this place. We do not forget your word. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for answering our prayer. Amen.